My name is Pastor Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Bethany. And uh, we're so glad that you're here on this Sunday of peace. And the thing that Jesus makes peace with us. And we largely say that that's kind of a New Testament thing. But this morning, we're going to focus in on the Old Testament. And we want to focus in on the Psalms. Now, for some of you, the Psalms is one of your favorite books. For some of you, you go, I don't understand almost anything in the Psalms. Some of us are much more familiar with the parts of the New Testament that seem very logical and very laid out about theology and how you do things and how you should believe. But the Psalms is not like that at all. The Psalms is ancient poetry. Now when you read it in the English, you go, none of it rhymes. How can it be poetry? But here's the challenge of translating poetry, especially ancient poetry, from ancient Hebrew into English is that oftentimes we miss the beauty of it. We don't pick up on the meter and on the rhythms that are in it. And a lot of ancient poetry isn't just rhyming, but lots of times there's a lots of comparing and contrasts that are in those passages of Scripture. And so the rhyming is in the thoughts much more than it is in the actual words and the language. And so when we talk about experiencing the Psalms, that's what you really need to do. You don't just read them. You don't just study them. You don't just examine it. But the Psalms are meant to be experienced. Now, there's some things that you know, I'm sure, already about the Psalms. And if I would ask you who wrote the Psalms, many of you would say, David. That's right, we call him the sweet psalmist. In actuality, though, David probably penned maybe only about half of the Psalms. The other half has been written some by Moses, some by Solomon, some by a bunch of other people that we know about, and quite a few of them are anonymous. And the span is probably about a thousand years from, from the time the first ones were written to the time the last ones were written. And so they were probably a very loose assortment of random poetry and music and lyrical expression until after the time of the Babylonian captivity uh, around, you know, 400, 500 B.C. when someone purposefully took them all and gathered them and put them in an intentional order. Now, here's something you might not know. That the book of Psalms is not one book. The book of Psalms is actually five separate collections that are put together in one book that we call the book of Psalms. But each of these five books of Psalms has an introduction and has 
kind of a benediction and that draws our readers together as they go through it. Some of the psalms are meant to be sung. Some are meant to be sung personally. Some are meant to be sung uh, as a choir, as a group. Some are meant to be traveling songs. Now, some of you guys have traveling songs, I'm sure. Songs you sing in the car when you're on your way to grandma's house. Things like that, just to pass the time. That's not what we mean with these psalms. The songs of ascent are meant to be songs that are sung as people would travel, take their yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the temple, and they would be singing these psalms, preparing their hearts for what's going to be happening. Now, all through the ages, people have loved the psalms. Sometimes they have memorized portions of it. And sometimes they come back to you during certain times of your life. And maybe some of you have a favorite psalm. Psalm 23 is a favorite for so many. And to tell you the truth, when I'm going through difficult times, that phrase, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that phrase keeps coming back to me because it goes, yet you are with me. And I think many of you have psalms like that. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's one of those psalms that speaks into our hearts. In fact, Jesus did this very same thing. When Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross... We know that he said a few words, and those are recorded. And at one point, he brought to memory Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? That comes right from Psalm 22. And I'm sure it's a psalm that he memorized and he learned as a child. And in a time of trial, in a time when his life was almost finished, it came back to him. In his memory. Some of these psalms are psalms of laments. Where the writer talks about and it kind of expresses what's on his heart. Everything that's wrong with the world. Some of the psalms are praises. And many of the psalms point to how even though God our creator made us. And the world is kind of a little crazy. Wrong sometimes succeeds. And right doesn't always succeed. Yet God is still king. In fact the whole theme of the book of Psalms. Is pointing at God is still God. And he's still in control. Some of the Psalms are alphabetical acrostics. Do you know what I mean by an alphabetical acrostic? We sometimes have this in kids' books. A is for apple, that makes a great pie. B is for bear, who if you mess with, you'll die. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't be writing children's books, right? <laughs> Give the kids nightmares. But we have some songs that follow the ancient Hebrew alphabet and are laid out with acrostics like that. In fact, Psalm 119 has eight verses for every letter 
in the Hebrew language. And so it kind of follows that in a creative way. In fact, the Psalms are meant to be experienced creatively. There's lots of metaphor, lots of symbolism, lots of pictures that, that you'll find in the book of Psalms. And so because of that, we say this, that the Psalms give us words to express our deepest meaning. In fact, there are times when you've got emotions and you've got feelings and you're not really sure what to do with them. Oftentimes, as you read through the Psalms, you'll say, that's it. That's how I feel. That's what I'm going through. And so many of us relate to the Psalms in that way. And because of that, I want to encourage you during this Christmas season, take some time to get into the Psalms. Maybe it's a favorite Psalm or a Psalm that maybe you just heard was good but you haven't read. I want to encourage you to take a look at some of the pictures of the Psalms and some of the things that it describes. Now, when we're talking about metaphor and symbolism and pictures, let me ask you this question. What kind of a picture or metaphor would you use when you feel far away from God? When you feel like your prayers are not being answered or where you feel like there's something between you and God? How would you describe that in a picture? Some of you might say, I feel like an empty well. I feel all dried up. I feel like the heavens are brass and my prayers are bouncing off of it. I feel like, I feel like a zombie. I feel not really alive, not really dead. I feel like something is wrong. See, these are the kind of pictures that the Psalms paint. So let me ask you this question. How would you describe the relief that comes from being fully forgiven? Maybe you've committed some sin that you're totally embarrassed of, that you feel totally guilty of, and if you could be completely forgiven and washed clean, what picture would you use for that? Maybe you would use a picture like, I feel like a brand new baby. I feel like, I feel like the world is, is renewed and washed clean. That the whole world is a possibility for me. Maybe you feel like you could take on the world. Well, these are a couple of the pictures we want to look at today in Psalm 32. Because Psalm 32 is one of those psalms that speaks about the agony of being distant from God, but also speaks of the joy of having ourselves washed clean. And in some ways, that speaks about our relationship with God now. It can speak very much that way. So we're going to read together Psalm 32. And if you have your Bible or your device there, follow along with me. Now... Interesting thing, before we read it, many of the Psalms have little 
uh, descriptions that come with them. They tell us a little bit about why they're written or how they're written. Um, interestingly, like if you get into the 50s, the Psalms that are in the 50s, I love those ones because there's a lot of description as to why they were written. Like uh, Psalm 51, when Nathan the prophet came after, uh, came to David and uh, when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So David wrote this after a prophet kind of squeezed him in the corner and wouldn't let him get away with his sin. Or there's one, an, another one, Psalm 54, when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? And if you read in the Old Testament some of those stories, you realize that they had some emotional impact on David. And so he takes some time to write about those. So Psalm 32, we hear, see here that it's of David. We see that it's called a maskil. And we're not entirely sure what that means. It's probably a term that's you know, has something to do with music or how it was supposed to be read. And you'll see another word that's in here called selah or salah, which refers to another musical term, to stop, to pause. And so as we read it, we're actually going to do that. We're going to pause when we come to those parts. And also pay attention to the shifts of rhythm and the shifts of meter as we read this through. So we're going to start off with verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was set as in the heat of summer. Selah. When I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place and will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Notice the change of word here. And, and the speaker is now God speaking to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And the voice changes back to the writer. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the ones who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord 
and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all of you who are upright in heart. You know, when we take a look at Psalm 32, we see such a progression and such emotion, both with the agony that comes along with avoiding our sin. Hmm. David describes it this way, that his bones were wasting away, that he's groaning or sighing throughout the day, that God's hand is heavy upon me. Strength is sapped like a hot, humid day. It's like everything that's within him is just drying up. I think some of you know what that's like. Some of you have experienced times like that where you felt like God is so far away. I have no emotional energy. I have nothing within me to be, uh, you know, to follow him. There's just something wrong. And it feels like I'm dead inside. See, as David describes this, he says, this is what happens when he tried to ignore his sin. Now here he doesn't tell us what that sin is. We know David did some pretty horrible things in his life. Like like even for those of us who love God, we still do some pretty horrible things, don't we? David was very similar. Even though he loved God and wanted to follow him, he still did some pretty rotten things. And he says, what it felt like is that I was dissolving on the inside. That my, I had no energy and I had nothing to motivate me. And God feels so far away. And that's an emotion that most of us can relate to. And there's been times in our lives where we've let things come between us and God, and then God feels so far away. And it's interesting in this psalm that David uses a number of words for sin. And so as he describes what it is that's between him and God, he uses a number of words for sin. And the first one he uses is that word sin. He just calls it sin, and that's one of those general words that we use about sin where we miss the mark or we fall short of God's expectations or somehow we're just not enough. It's that failure for us to live up to God's expectations. In a sense, not only do we fail to do what's right, but sometimes we fail to even recognize when we've done wrong. And so you could say that big picture thing is that we are sinners. That somehow we've just missed the mark. Romans chapter 3.23 uses that word when he says that we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all fall short. We are all in that same boat. And a good picture of it is that we are sinners or we fall short of where we should be. And that's one of the words that 
he describes it. Interesting, in the Old Testament, right in the book of Genesis, when God is talking to Cain about his sin, he describes it this way, that sin is crouching at your door like it's a wild animal or something, and it seeks to have you, but you must master it. And many of us sense what sin is like within us. It's like a wild animal. Sometimes I cannot control it. And this is one of the things that David talks about. He says, that's one of the things that stands between me and God. He uses another term to talk about sin. And he puts it this way. He uses the word transgression. And the word transgression maybe refers to something like violating a law, breaking the rules, or breaking trust. So you know what the rule is, you know what it should be, you know the trust that's been placed on you, but you break it anyway. And that's what transgression is. When there's a rule or a law and you choose to go beyond it. Now, when we're talking about sin falling short, you may do that accidentally. Transgression, you don't do accidentally. Transgression is something you do intentionally. You know the expectations and you break them. And David is saying, that's what's standing between God and me. Not only did I accidentally do what's wrong, but I've intentionally done it. I've broken the rule. I've broken trust. People had certain expectations of me, and I intentionally broke their trust. He uses another word, iniquity. Interesting, all these words are right there in Psalm 32. And iniquity is talking about being crooked or corrupt Isaiah 53 put it this way all we like sheep have gone astray each one of us has turned our own way yet the Lord has laid on him the coming Messiah the iniquity the crookedness of us all and so David explains that sometimes what he does is just kind of perverse kind of crooked kind of corrupt He uses another word, the word deceit. Some of your Bibles would say the word guile. Deceit is that sneaky, lazy uh, type of thing where you deceive in a very subtle way. You let people think a certain thing, even though you know it's not the truth. But Well, I didn't actually lie about it, but it's deceptive anyway. And sometimes... David experienced this, that he had deceit, and we know what that's about, don't we? There are times when we are very sneaky, very sly in the way we commit sin. And the last word he uses here is the word wicked. And when he uses the word wicked, he's not talking about someone who's as bad as they could possibly be, but what he means is that those who have turned their back on God or who are hostile towards God, who just say, no, I'm not going to go God's way. And some of us are hostile, and some of us just ignore God. 
But David is saying, all these things is what has kept me from God. These are the things that get in between me and God. And I think you know what he's talking about, don't you? Every one of us experience these things and they come up in our heart. And so he talks about the agony of having these come up and he says this in Psalm 32, when I kept silent about these things, when I didn't admit them, he says, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know those hot days, hot and humid, 40 plus Humidity is up in the high 90s. There's not a breath of air. The sun is just cooking your brains. And you, can't, you don't have the energy to do anything except to eat ice cream. He's using that as a picture that when these things take place in his life and he tries to avoid God or hide from God, this is what he feels like. And you need to know this. Our natural reaction is to hide from God, isn't it? We see it right back there in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, their first reaction was to hide, to run, so that when God is around, I'm not. And we hide in many different ways. But that's our natural reaction. Sometimes we hide because we're afraid. Sometimes we hide because we're embarrassed. I can't believe I did that. Sometimes we hide just because we're a little bit angry. Maybe angry at myself, angry at God, angry at other, other people. But I've committed some sins, and you know what? I'm just so frustrated that it happened again. And even though it's our natural reaction to hide from God, it's God's passionate desire to call us back. As natural as it is for us to hide, it's as natural for God to forgive. God always calls us back. That even though we sin, and even though it gets in the way between us and God, it's so natural for God not to leave it there. That God pursues us. And that God's, when, when David says, your hand is heavy on me, God does that in love. Because he wants us back. He wants us close. He doesn't like it when things are between us. It's kind of like when you and your spouse have something that's you know, between you. And you long to have it solved. Now, most of us get stuck where we're not exactly sure how to solve it. Or we think it's the other person's turn this time to solve the issue. It's their fault anyway, right? But in God's perspective, he knows how to solve it. And he calls us back. And he calls us to confession. And, and here's the beauty of it. That humble confession brings forgiveness and freedom 
in our relationship with the Creator, the one who made you, the one who loves you, it's not like you have to perform fabulously. It's not like you have to be perfect or live up to high expectations. But what he calls you to do is humble confession. To own it. To acknowledge it. And, and not only the actions, but to acknowledge the actions, the motives, the impacts that I've had on other people. All that's wrapped up in confession. To be able to tell God, this is what I did. I know you saw it anyway, but I'm just owning it here. It was me. I have no excuse. I was angry and therefore I did this. My motive was I thought I could get away with it. But I see the impact that it's had on those closest to me. And I want to confess it to you, Lord. See, confession is one of the key parts that keep the relationship close between us and God. God already knows that we're sinners. He already knows that we can rarely do perfectly what we intend to do. But what he calls us to do is to admit it, to own it, to confess it verbally. And keep things clear between us. That's what he longs for. He says, if you would just own your stuff, then our relationship can be close again. When David talks about the joy that follows his confession... That's what he starts the psalm off. He says, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions have been washed clean. Ah. And he uses this word blessed, and sometimes we trip over that word because it's one of those general purpose words that depending on the context can mean a whole lot of different things. But basically, David is talking about the relief and the joy and ah, the peace that comes when I own my stuff. Oh, that feels so much better. It feels like I'm a newborn baby. It feels like the colors are richer. It feels that I could breathe deeper. It feels like the world's a happy place because I've owned my stuff before God. And so Psalm 32 is one of those psalms that goes through both the agony of trying to hide from God, but the joy of coming to God. That, that's what David is really putting this music to. That's what it's really about. And he talks about rejoicing. And he talks about how the relationship changes. He says, mighty waters won't touch me. Ha, those floods, ha, you know, I, I can handle them because I'm close with God. He talks about God being his hiding place, a place of protection during times of trouble. He says, you surround me with songs of deliverance. And a song of deliverance is one of those songs that people put together 
once they've kind of gone through a big crisis. It's kind of like we do this sometimes when we talk about, uh, you know, big events that happen in our lives that we somehow miraculously survived. And we, and we tell everybody about it and we talk about, you know, how we almost died yet, you know, we got through. But the interesting piece added to it is that it's giving God the thanks for getting through. And that's a song of deliverance. Moses and Miriam did it when they got through the Red Sea on the other side. They broke into song and they wrote it down and they, 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 had, you know, they had one of these great celebrations. It's a song of deliverance. And David is saying, it feels like these songs are all around me and they surround me and they remind me of how good God is. So maybe you need Psalm 32 during this Christmas season. I mean, the Christmas season is an emotional time. We have lots of peace and love and joy. At least those are our expectations. In reality, sometimes the stress and the expectations kind of work against us. But Psalm 32 paints that picture of even when I'm in those dry desert places, can still find God. I love the Psalms because they speak to my own heart and they lead me through some of those emotional roller coasters that sometimes I don't like to admit that I'm on, but I'm on anyway. And the Psalms can breathe life into us. And maybe the Psalms are for you this Christmas. If you're not really familiar with the Psalms, you could start off with Psalm 1 and 2. Take some time to read through them. Pick some favorite ones like Psalm 23. Psalm 139 is a favorite of so many people. That's a great psalm. Now, and if you're really hardcore, Psalm 119, that's the hardcore psalm. But you know, you may find that in the Psalms, all of a sudden, those are the words of what I feel right now. And they could speak into your heart. Historically, the church has used time of communion for self-reflection and self-examination. And maybe it's a time then for you to examine your own heart and say, Lord, search me. Try me. Test me. Know me. And if there is something that I need to confess to you, let me know so that I can confess it and that things can be clear again between you and me. Communion has typically been that time. And as we finish up here and we transition to, into communion, we're going to give you some time to reflect and to think and to pray. The music's going to play and we're going to give you a couple minutes to just Pray and ask God, is there something that I need to admit and own? And if you do, I encourage you to admit it between you and God. 
And of course, you may even need to follow up on that to admit it to the person that you've wronged. But don't let things turn you into a dry corpse where on the outside you look alive, but on the inside you feel wasted away. Bring those to God. Name them. Own them. So that, again, you can be, have things clear between you and God.